Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Wednesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, one of the largest banks in the U.S. wants to boost home ownership within Black and Hispanic communities. Jamie Dimon, CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, talks about the effort and what it means for Atlanta. And Paycheck to Paycheck, our series continues from jobs and wages to the ever-rising cost of living. We'll take a look at how the metro Atlanta economy is doing with Mike Alexander from the Atlanta Regional Commission. Very important community conversations coming up. But first this, Atlanta Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to expand its ability to track and respond to COVID-19 as the U.S. closes its second full year of the pandemic. Agency head Dr. Rochelle Walensky says the CDC is ramping up disease surveillance and making it easier for local public health agencies to alert federal officials about emerging outbreaks. All of these efforts are with a vision for not just COVID, but also to address any future infectious and non-infectious public health threats. As we continue to move forward from this pandemic, I'm confident that CDC and our public health partners are well positioned to use our surveillance and our data to lead the way. Walensky's announced the efforts today was part of the Biden administration's new COVID-19 preparedness plan. Now, that's an effort to allow people to return to normal activities safely after two years of pandemic disruptions. According to the White House, ramping up access to COVID-19 testing and treatments are major parts of the plan. Coronavirus infections have fallen to their lowest level since last summer in recent weeks after a winter, after a winter spike from the highly transmissible Omicron variant. In other news, it's official. Former Georgia Governor Sonny Perdue is the new chancellor of the state's public university system. The Board of Regents approved Purdue's nomination Tuesday. The vote comes two weeks after Purdue was named the sole finalist for the job. He officially begins on April 1st. A recent survey of Georgia educators reveals more than 20% of new hires are considering leaving the profession. That's compared to just 12% the year before. Our WABE education reporter Martha Dalton has all those details. About 4,600 school staffers responded to the survey conducted by the Professional Association of Georgia Educators, or PAGE. Claire Suggs is PAGE's senior policy analyst. She says teachers dealt with new challenges during the pandemic, like major staffing shortages. We just heard a lot of folks saying that they're struggling to provide the level of support for their students that they really want to because of all of these extra things that they're plugging holes in other places. 
one of those teachers, who only wants to be known as Nikki, is considering leaving after this school year. One of the biggest things that I want people to understand is that we aren't leaving because of bad administrators or bad principals or school culture. We're leaving because of factors outside of our buildings that impact us and our ability to help kids every day. Outside factors like state mandates. Nikki says we because she belongs to several Facebook groups of teachers who are thinking about leaving. She says the pandemic made existing problems worse. For example, she says her fourth graders struggled with the curriculum before COVID. Now with the learning loss that our kids have experienced, our curriculum is still over their heads. Um, Nothing curriculum-wise has been adjusted to take into consideration that the kids have not had normal schooling in two or three years. That's made a tough job even tougher, she says. The PAGE survey picked up on that. It asked teachers if they'd recommend the profession to others. More than half of respondents said they wouldn't. Claire Suggs says officials need to find new ways to strengthen the teacher pipeline. Kind of thinking about how do we attract those young people at 18 and 19 and really support them progressively throughout their career. Lawmakers have taken some steps to address this. A new law lets teachers apply for a $3,000 tax credit if they agree to teach at certain schools. The legislature is also considering a bill that would let retired teachers return to classrooms while still collecting benefits. Martha Dalton, WABE News. And finally, play ball. Well, not so fast. Atlanta Braves fans looking forward to the start of the season will have to wait a little while longer. Commissioner Rob Manfred announced Tuesday that Major League Baseball will cancel the upcoming opening day scheduled for March 31st. That's after a ninth straight day of lockout negotiations fell through. We have been down this road before. Now, the Braves are set to open their season on the road against Miami and up in New York. Now, as we know, as far as we know, the Braves' home opener, scheduled for April 7th against the Cincinnati Reds, has not yet been canceled. So come on, y'all. Get it together. We love baseball. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. It's a disparity that's always existed. Home ownership by race. In 2019, the U.S. home ownership rate was 64.6%. Among black Americans, it was 42.1%. Now this year, here's what we know. The U.S. home ownership rate has increased 65.5%. That was in 2020. That's the highest annual rise ever as 2.6 million more households became homeowners compared to 2019. Now, the home ownership rates for Asian Americans and Hispanic Americans are 61.7 and 51.1 respectively. However, peep this, the home ownership rate for black Americans only increased 43.4. 
So this week, initiatives and resources related to increasing home ownership opportunities for black and Hispanic and Latina households, not just in Atlanta, but nationwide. Well, it was announced right here in Atlanta. And one of the nation's largest financial institutions is involved. J.P. Morgan Chase was here to make the announcement. And following that announcement, I spoke with Jamie Dimon. If you don't know, he's a CEO and president as well as J.P. Morgan Chase board chair. Chairman Dimon, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Great. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. You heard those home ownership disparity statistics that I mentioned coming into the segment. Reflect on what you feel, because this is not something that's new. It's been ongoing through your lens. What do you feel are the contributing factors to this gap when it comes to home ownership, and particularly among races, and particularly for blacks? Yeah. So, you know, look, COVID-19 and the murder of George Floyd pointed out two things we already knew, which is the black community, the poor community is left behind even more when there's a recession or COVID or uh, or obviously the inequities uh, you know, to poor to black folks who were killed unnecessarily. So the whole thing is, it's been, this has been going on for 170 years since the Civil War. So we need to make a more determined effort to get close to racial equity quicker. And home ownership is a big part of that. So you need jobs, you need wages. But one of the big ways that people build their wealth is they buy a home. They get that mortgage. And if you don't have a credit file, it's hard to get a mortgage. If you don't get an appraisal, it's hard to get a mortgage. So we're making mortgages more available to black folks and black communities. We're putting loan officers in black communities, and we're trying to come up with new alternative methods to extend credit. For example, a lot of your listeners may not know is that if you paid rent for 20 years in a row, it will not count in your credit score. But we can count in how we look at someone's credit. So we're going to try to be seeking out new ways to do things. Uh, and the third thing is to get government policy. There's a lot of government policies that can be changed that would make it easier for lower-income folks to get mortgages. Let me ask you this. So based on everything that you just said then, you're saying, Chairman Diamond, that this gap, it's it's beyond just access to home ownership, but rather black households being ready to even start this process of purchasing a home. You're talking about all the barriers that exist before even yeah. talking about access. That's correct. There's income levels. There's having savings. There's being. There's learning about how you go about getting a home, like what a mortgage is, and uh, uh, and then there's you know depending what neighborhood you're in. But they, banks do, don't do red line anymore, but they don't get the same access to loans, and that's a, across a whole bunch of government programs. So yeah, there are a lot of things to fix. Uh, it is fixable, and we need to go as fast as we can. So for example, J.P. Morgan is making not only mortgages more available. We're doing a, a, a far better job looking at alternative credit sources. We're doing homeowner grants, like giving folks $5,000 to make the down payment. Uh, and we're going to try to invent new mortgages. And we always go to Washington and try to get them to change some of their programs to make them more, access- make them more accessible. So you're saying through your lens that the key is more local programs and resources to complement federal programs? Yes, absolutely. And so, like with- for example, we we announced the eight billion dollar program, but to execute that, we have to put more loan officers in black neighborhoods in Harlem, the South Side of Chicago, the Fifth Parish of Louisiana, parts of Atlanta. So, the, to actually execute the program on the ground has got to be done at the local level. And of course, real estate is always local in, term, in terms of laws and requirements and underwriting, et cetera. You say real estate is local, and of course, we all know that. But let's just focus on Atlanta for a moment because. I've been doing this for a long time, and I love to ask folks this question. You're going to be the person that gets the question. So 
when you talk about defining affordable housing, what does that look like for you through your lens for someone here in the Atlanta region? What should it look like? And how do you define affordable housing? How do you define it? Yeah. So I think there are several different parts. Are we talking about mortgages? Yeah. That's almost where you graduate out of affordable housing. So affordable housing, and we just met with the mayor, and he actually described it better than I've ever heard it described, is it shouldn't be permanent. It should be somewhere where you go, you need a little help, you get the education, you're there for five years. But hopefully after that, you can leave and get a mortgage, buy a house and start building your wealth that way. So, you know, obviously affordable means you have to be able to afford it. On, on why you're going to school or on your or job that's not earning the income you need, why you're getting the skills that can earn you uh, more income. But there are some things that we all can't control, which obviously can be the market. And when you look at a region like Atlanta, the Atlanta region, there are things that we can't control. We can't control when economic development comes in and it raises the, 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 you know, the, the, the taxes. We can't control when a neighborhood changes and four hundred and five hundred thousand dollars are coming homes are coming online. Will your program be able to address this for folks who want to stay in the neighborhood that they grew up in, that their their parents brought into, and their their grandparents? Yeah, that the answer is absolutely, but that has to be done in conjunction with the city. So your mayor has to set aside the land. Uh, the city's got to get the new market uh, tax credits. The builders here, but that's absolutely you want. If all it is moving people out of a town where they have jobs, et cetera, that's not really great for society. So I think you are doing that, Atlanta. I'm not an expert in all your housing sure. here, but a lot of other cities have learned the hard way that they're not they're not making it conducive to build affordable housing. They, they're putting zoning restrictions in place and limits in place and size restrictions in place. So some of the affordable housing will be single units, some will be apartments, et cetera. And a big part of this, when we talk about the solutions and everyone has said there is no one magic bullet there's no one magic solution we've heard about public and private partnerships we've heard about a holistic approach to this issue of of getting folks in homes and particularly people of color and so with this announcement that you all are making this week it's all of the above that you all are involved in yeah it's mortgages it's affordable housing it's work skills, so getting kids, basically not degrees, but certificates that get them the ability to get a job is paying forty, sixty thousand dollars a year. Uh, uh, it's financial education, so it's like just bringing people in, explaining mortgages and savings and how you go about that, and uh, and then things like what I think also counts is we have a thing called the Entrepreneur of Color Fund. We actually started in Detroit. We now partner with LISC across the nation to help businesses that need a little bit of capital and a little bit of advice to get to the next level. And so, you know, that hopefully you can build a lot of businesses. And then it's even the things like these community branches we have, they're bigger. But in that community branch, we're opening one in Atlanta soon. Uh, uh, the, art, lo- the art is local. The p- people who maintain the branch are local. The cleaning is local. We do food events as local. Then we have space for the local people so that you can have uh, businesses come in. You can do education for on savings, on mortgages, on you know, investing money. Uh, and then we have some brand new called a community manager. So mm-hmm. not just the branch manager, but the community manager reaches out to local not-for-profits, local schools, local businesses, you know, to, to make sure we're doing the job in the community. And we hire locally. So that is a real community branch. So it's really building the community, not just uh, having a consumer branch. So there's a financial literacy phase to all of this. And for our listeners, because when they hear this conversation and they're thinking, oh, wow, so I'm going to go into J.P. Morgan Chase and have all these resources. 
Before I let you go, I want you to be able to give listeners sort of break it down how all this will work for them when you all, because you, you're saying yeah. you all will have a branch here that will focus on all these initiatives that we just talked about, yes. correct? Absolutely. And, and online services that do it. But we want everyone to be feel welcome to come in and come as you are. And we're going to have people stand in front and take questions and explain all these issues. The other thing, by the way, is a public policy matter. Schools, I literally K to 12, should teach financial education. Just so people understand the basics of savings, uh, payday lending, checking accounts, investment accounts, so that they, it's on their mind. You know, people once they start to save that first ten or twenty dollars, they tend to continue to save. So just to start the thinking and the kind of the muscle memory to start people on the savings and the idea that they can own a home one day. This conversation will fit nicely into our new series that we just relaunched here called Paycheck to Paycheck, looking at how Georgians, specifically Atlantans, are making it in between payroll checks. And so with this announcement, with this home ownership, making it maybe not easily, but making it access for folks, for people of color, when will all this be online? Because as you know, when folks hear this conversation, Chairman, they want to know yeah. when and where can I access well, this? Well, we have we have uh, almost 100 branches in, in uh, today in Atlanta, and the new community branch it's going to be open in June in Summerhill. So pr- please come visit, and we'll try to help any way you can. And finally, as we end our conversation, how important is it for a major institution? You're a major financial institution like J.P. Morgan Chase. Look, folks have been down this road before with resources that have been promised, and some institutions, you know, they've merged, <laughs> and with the deals of the merger, they had to scrap some programs. You all are committed to these initiatives and to these resources for people here in the Atlanta area who want to become homeowners? What do you want to tell our listeners? I mean, we're, we're totally committed. The company's are 100% behind it. Uh, we're going to our second year. The point isn't to end it at the end of five years. The point is to take the best of it and continue it and maybe double down. And uh, so I agree with you. You know, start-stop programs don't work. Lifetime charity doesn't work. So each one of these programs, when you get smarter, and better and double down and get better. And it's also, we're one bank. You know, we we would love, unlike other things, we'd love anyone to join in this. So the Entrepreneur of Color Fund, that was J.P. Morgan Chase, started that in Detroit, you know, and now we do it in 15 cities, but that we're doing with LISC. So we have lots of other banks now who said, you know what, we want to participate in that program. We don't call it the J.P. Morgan uh, Entrepreneur of Color Fund. Mm-hmm. It's called the Entrepreneur of Color Fund so that anyone can join. And then other things we've learned, you know, we now... We don't have college degree required on something like 60,000 jobs. They really weren't required. You know, skills might be required, but not college degree. And so, and we also started a program and working with the government to, you know, as a regulated bank, we weren't allowed to hire in certain jobs ex-felons. And we got them to change it. So last year we hired over 2,000 ex-felons. You know, people need a second chance in society. So there are a million things to do. We're going to do them all. We're doing them. Uh, diligently, thoughtfully, and I agree with you, if it's not kind of permanent, it's not going to work. And finally, Mr. Chairman, you, the metrics you all will use to assess the effectiveness of this program yeah. and did it the, do what it was supposed to do? Yeah, so we actually report that out. So we actually had the first year report. You can get it. I think it's online. You go to J.P. Morgan Chase and look under our racial equity commitment. It's how many mortgages you do, how many affordable housing units, how many businesses did you help get regular bank? How many people went through education? How many open savings accounts? How many more? So literally, there are real dollar metrics and unit metrics and stuff like that on everything I said. 
And, you know, we have thousands of people working this and they know, you know, I'm a kind of a freak when it comes to measuring yourself. And so this is being measured. And, you know, we won't be perfect. Mm -hmm. I'm not looking for home runs. I'm looking to do what we do, learn from it, make it better. Like I mentioned that one thing about alternative credit, that could be a huge difference in, you know, making credit more available to people of color. Looking for other ways that people can, that have demonstrated their credibility and their credit. And so, you know, we're, we're going to be doing a lot of things and sharing this with other banks, by the way. We're not going to keep it just to ourselves. All right. Well, we're going to have you back. When you come back to Atlanta, you come into the Closer Look studio and hang out with us. Great. Chairman and thank CEO you. Jamie Dimon from J.P. Morgan Chase. Mr. Chairman, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. And Closer Look continues here in just a moment on 90.1 WABE, Amplifying Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Inflation. That's worse now than it's been in decades in the U.S. And people are feeling the pressure of higher prices at the gas pump, at the grocery store, and a lot of other places. If you listen last night, President Joe Biden says fighting rising prices is his top priority. Too many families are struggling to keep up with their bills. Inflation is robbing them of gains they thought otherwise they would be able to feel. I get it. That's why my top priority is getting prices under control. Look, our economy roared back faster than almost anyone predicted. But the pandemic meant that businesses had a hard time hiring enough people because of the pandemic to keep up production in their factories. So you didn't have people making those beams that went into buildings because they were out. The factory was closed. The panic also disrupted the global supply chain. Factories close. When that happens, it takes longer to make goods and get them to the warehouses, to the stores, and go, prices go up. Look at cars last year. One-third of all the inflation was because of automobile sales. There weren't enough semiconductors to make all the cars that people wanted to buy. And guess what? Prices of automobiles went way up, especially used vehicles as well. And so we have a choice. One way to fight inflation is to drive down wages and make Americans poor. I think I have a better idea to fight inflation. Lower your costs, not your wages. So what can families do in the meantime? That's a question I put to two experts earlier in the week. The first voice you hear is from Robert Lerman. He's an Institute Fellow with the Urban Institute's Center on Labor, Human Services, as well as retired professor of economics at American University. I also asked a question to Solani Vistani, a professor of marketing at Emory University. The inflation is a difficult problem, and we are going to have to deal with it. I'm hoping that the economy doesn't suffer a lot of pain in the effort to reduce inflation. But, um, you know, I'd say that the things that, that makes it make sense to people, Mm -hmm. uh, have a budget, um, try to, you know, limit some discretionary expenses during tough times and, um, you know, try to keep credit card purchases down. If, if you do have a credit card, pay it off as quickly as possible. Uh, so these are just basic things that you would always do. Uh, it's more important now because prices are rising and you'll see some unexpected uh, costs 
in uh, the supermarket and certainly at the gas tank. That's interesting because I have a, a listener who just sent an email saying, Rose, it is hard to save money when you are in debt. And perhaps we all can agree with that. Uh, Dr. Vistani, through your lens, when you talk about folks being able to rebound, so to speak, now that we're in an inflation, what, what advice would you give? Sure, I agree with what um, Dr. Lermer just mentioned. Uh, budgeting would be definitely one of them. Um, in addition to that, you know, there is um, coming from a marketing lens, I feel like there is ways to make things last longer. Um, by taking good care of them or being just very conscious consumers. Um, uh, you know, when you have a big bottle of ketchup, you tend to use more of it. Um, <laughs> Especially if you right? have kids. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. You know, you have, you squeeze it. But when you are down to like a small little bit, you're very conscious of you use it. And you can say the same with like a toilet paper or paper towels. So just being very conscious of consumption. Um, as, so that you don't have to buy things as often and still can have a good quality of life. What have you all been following to learn in terms of price inf- inflation and how it's affecting people here in Georgia that might be different from the rest of the nation or similar? Yeah. So I think in Georgia, we've seen much more price inflation, right? Price inflation on an average in the nation is uh, close to 7.5%. Uh, but in Georgia, we've seen closer to... Um, nine, ten percent inflation on an average. Um, and one of the reasons, um, you know, the three primary reasons that are driving this inflation, right? Mm-hmm. There is um, fuel costs going up, mm-hmm. um, uh, labor um, costs going up, and then supply chain issues, um, which are limiting some of the supply in the market, which then increases the price and the demand for that. Um, so, you know, there's all those three factors have impacted uh, Georgia, but what I see additionally happening in Georgia is um, lots of people moving in here, which we love our state, you know, we love um, Atlanta. Yeah, they're moving here. I just, I just want to know, one, where they working, because they're moving, they're buying homes at this incredible <laughs> yeah. level, and we know about the housing market here, Not, not to you know, get on them. But I mean, that's great that folks are moving here, but it just, when you think of the the affordable housing issues, especially here around Georgia and around Atlanta area, just kind of makes you wonder. uh, Yes. And, you know, so many of these people are moving from the North, um, you know, I've heard people moving from California and Chicago and New York. And for them paying an additional 20% on the house is, not that much because that's the reference point what we call in marketing, right? The reference point that they have for an average home price is much higher in those regions than what we have here. So they are going over asking price here and, and kind of driving some of that inflation for us. Yes. And for the listener to email me and said, Rose, you don't want people moving to Atlanta. No, you can move to Atlanta, but you know, just wondering where y'all work. Cause Housing is expensive. Coming up, more on what inflation means for Atlanta families. I'll be joined by Mike Alexander from the Atlanta Regional Commission to discuss all this. Now, prior to relaunching our Paycheck to Paycheck series, we asked a lot of you out there, hey, how are you making ends meet? It's difficult trying to get out of the dependent stuff, especially with COVID being a thing. It's a lot harder to find a job sometimes. And I'm currently sticking around like three separate jobs and just juggling them. And that plus college makes it difficult sometimes. I go to college five days a week. And then finding time to work is also a big factor in it. 
that makes it the most difficult, I think. When you um, start budgeting for your food and other necessities and utilities and try to um, take out just that, get some enjoyment from your paycheck, you still end up living paycheck to paycheck. Well, I'm living, I think, uh, life where for I've been very, we've been deliberate, our family, about um, cutting expenses and just kind of living below our means so that we have somewhat of a cushion. continues here on 90.1 from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. In his first State of the Union address, President Joe Biden last night talked about the challenges facing many American households. In an America that has lived through two of the hardest years this nation has ever faced, the pandemic has been punishing, and so many families are living paycheck to paycheck, struggling to keep up with the rising cost of food, gas, housing, and so much more. Mm, paycheck to Paycheck. Yes, our Paycheck to Paycheck series got under this way. And to get started, we asked folks, you know, how they were making ends meet, how they were making ends meet. You might have heard that just a moment ago. But now we turn our focus to the economy here in the metro Atlanta area. A recent analysis from the Atlanta Regional Commission says there are some indications that the region's economy is doing pretty well. The unemployment rate is low. Job growth is picked up as we continue to recover from the pandemic. But we also know there are some challenges, systemic challenges, too. Of course, inflation is making everyday expenses more expensive and home prices are at an all time high and they continue to always be at an all time high. And how about this? One in four Atlanta residents say they would struggle to cover the cost of a four hundred dollar emergency expense. We've been hearing this for a while now. As we take a deeper dive into the region's economy, I'm joined now by Mike Alexander. He's been on the program before. He's director of the Center for Livable Communities at the Atlanta Regional Commission. Mike, thanks for taking the time as always. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Great to be with you, Rods. Um, I want to get your thoughts though first. Did you uh, listen or watch uh, President Biden's uh, address last night? I've been reading a lot about it. Now, what, do you, what do you make of in terms of the Biden administration, what he says his approach will be to inflation? We can focus on that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think a lot of us were caught off guard uh, with this current increase in inflation, it's particularly troubling for Metro Atlanta. Uh, you were talking about it earlier. It's driven by uh, transportation, fuel price increases. And for us, you know, we're finally starting to see wage increases here in Metro Atlanta in our low income worker uh, classifications for jobs, wages going up. But those are being eroded by these in inflation increases, right? Transportation, food prices. Um, it's, it's hurting our, our most vulnerable workers as they're trying to make up ground, right, uh, here in Metro Atlanta. And so, you know, Mike, also I think when folks hear, wow, well, you know, wages are increasing, but consider where they're, where they're increasing from still may not be because they were so low. I mean, look, if we want to talk about minimum wage, that's a whole other conversation. But considering where they started from and then where they are now, that's still just not enough. Do you think folks understand that and so they get a little twisted. Oh, but we're hearing that, you know, wages are increasing. Well, it's good, but still it's low. 
Yes, and I think you know this, Rose. We've been watching this a long time, not just during the pandemic, but before coming out of the Great Recession. Metro Atlanta's wages compared to other metros weren't increasing at the same rate as those other metros, and especially in the low low wage uh, jobs. And that that was critical for us. And we've been reporting on it because we know those are the households where we know, you know, they're they're watching the high wage jobs you know, big increases over that period and what people are making. And they're they're falling further behind. And that's obviously very hard. And Mike, for listeners who may not understand, you just can't say you just can't counter with the employment rate with the unemployment rate because folks may be unemployed. Folks could be employed, but it may not be in a, in a job that they really enjoy or one that's paying a, a decent wage. So I think sometimes people, when they think about the unemployment rate and the employment rate they think oh they just counter each other that's not exactly the case no it isn't and one of the things that i've been looking at very closely reported by brookings if you're in a low-wage sector if you are a dishwasher and you do that job for 10 years the likelihood that you'll ever leave that work is one percent one percent and so we're really focused in all of our workforce work the state the region what we do at the arc and trying to help people get the training they need to upskill and go to that higher wage work. And there are sectors where that absolutely can happen that have been strong for Metro Atlanta, like information. Mm -hmm. Well, I also want you to define for this, for our listeners, when we talk about job growth, we're not just talking about the addition of, oh, there are jobs that are available. Because those jobs that are available that have been vacant for a while, that doesn't necessarily, you don't want to really include that in your job growth. Because there's a reason that they're empty because folks either don't want to go back to them or, again, they were low-wage jobs to begin with anyway. Right. And hospitality is a sector where it's been very hard for companies to backfill those positions because they have historically been so low-wage. And this is a period where people are going to be looking for better jobs, right? The, the quit rate at the national level is the highest it's been in my charts, yeah. right? And there's more job openings right now than ever before in the United States. So, yeah, people are definitely looking. So if you then had to assess, and I think I know the answer is when we talk about the Atlanta region here, and let's, let's also give a snapshot for folks who are listening uh, around the state or, you know, they could be listening around the world. When we talk about the Atlanta region and folks get all been out of pocket about what's Atlanta and what's not. But when we talk about the Atlanta region, we're really talking about what, 13 counties here, right? Yeah, the core planning area for the ARC now is 11 counties. Um, But most of the data we produce is for the metropolitan statistical area. And I know that's a mouthful, but that's 29 counties. 29 counties? 29 counties. So when you see our data, you see MSA. That's a big area. So then if I ask you then to kind of assess and give an assessment, you know, where we are and where we've been the last few decades, good, bad? A little bit of both? Stagnant? Yeah, on the job growth side, we have been absolutely a national leader. You know, over the last 30 years, we've we've been really strong. But what's been happening is we've been adding a lot of high-wage jobs, and we've been adding a lot of low-wage jobs. Mm -hmm. And it really is a tale of two cities, right? These high-wage jobs and the low-wage jobs. The middle is where we've seen basically stagnant or decreasing job numbers. And that's that gap that I'm I'm really interested in. How do we get more people up and into those high wage jobs, but also 
um, more middle wage jobs as well. And so adding lots of jobs, but very specific story and the types of jobs are at. Well, that gap that you're talking about, then what is that big barrier? Is it skill set? Is it transportation and, and transit issues? Is it housing? Is it child care needs? Is it a lot of aspects it's, here? Well, you, you've got it exactly. I talk about the ecosystem of a household, and you just described it. You know, Dr. Rice at the Morehouse School of Medicine said, if you want to do something to improve people's health, give them a decent job. And so that's how I think about it. we got to think about it all. How do people get to work? Um, what type of work they're doing? Can we get them upskilled, right? If we can get you into IT information, the likelihood that as you change jobs, you're going to make more money goes up dramatically dramatically, right? And that's critical. There is such a demand for software developers in this country and in particular Metro Atlanta. If you want to code, you can make money, but you need that training to get there. Mm. Let's talk about in terms of, of mobility, because I'm curious, what about mobility between those different kinds of sectors that you talked about? If if people want job training, I mean, it, it may be out in the perimeter area or something like that, or then again, getting there. I mean, we love our transit system right but sometimes it takes a while and then you can get on the train but then you got to catch two or three buses to get to that drop job training site it, all those factors are a part of this absolutely absolutely and um you know if it, it really does depend on the sector on that mobility of making more money when you switch jobs you know truthfully the likelihood that you're going to make more money in hospitality is almost half of what it would be if you were in professional services. And you know, some of the big consulting firms now literally have apprenticeship programs where they will come in and teach you to code, right? And if you complete that program put on by the business, mm -hmm. they will absolutely hire you and you will be making a lot more money than in those low wage sectors. So that's how a how much demand there is in the system now that businesses are doing it to the ARC and all the workforce uh, activity. That's absolutely bread and butter work for us to try to help people find those paths. So the demand is there, but you're saying, but are you clear that you're not saying there isn't enough people to meet the workforce needs or that's the issue? Uh, can I say so, that again? So you're saying the demand is there for workers in certain sectors. Correct. But yeah. overall, are you saying there are there enough people to meet work for workforce needs in general in this region? Yeah, long, yeah and it's a nuanced uh, response and it, it really depends. But the, the demand is absolutely there. But could could the United States as a country in Metro Atlanta train more people to code? Absolutely. Absolutely. And those people would would be filling those those in demand positions. The, the, the reality is, and it's demographics at this point, the share of blue collar workers in the future of our workforce is going to go down. They're going to be fewer people literally demographically available for that work. And so that is going to be absolutely a challenge for us. How do you all assess that and come up with that? Yeah, we we look at national reports on this and the conference board, actually, who does the big GDP forecasts and mm -hmm. that work produced a, a really great report about that at the national level. So that's the kind of stuff I'm always thinking about. What what is that future population? You know, what's their likely 
educational attainment and where are those gaps going to be? And so, some, yeah, some of these positions are very hard to fill right now. Hmm. The voice you hear is Mike Alexander. He's director of the Center for Livable Communities with the Atlanta Regional Commission. And we're talking about the state of the Atlanta economy as we continue our series, Paycheck to Paycheck. You know, we we ask our own little, we take our own little survey, which we encourage everyone to take, including you, Mike. It's at wabe.org slash paycheck. And, you know, we ask folks about how many hours a week do members of your household work to gener- generate income? We ask folks, do they ever have trouble covering daily expen- daily expenses. Here's what a few people said. You know, the pandemic almost destroyed us. We couldn't pay our mortgage for months, but thankfully the mortgage companies work with us. Food always comes first. Someone else says, you know, it has come close in terms of being able to cover their daily living expenses, sometimes especially with unexpected or large ticket expenses or purchases. You know, and someone said student loan and credit card debt are the biggest challenges. Someone else said it's tough, but I make it. I'm neglecting a lot of repairs to my house. What do you make of that? Yeah, so this this is absolutely the crux and why we ask through our Metro Atlanta Speaks every year, that $400 question that you mentioned early, uh, earlier in the conversation, because, you know, for us, you know, thinking about that, that one income household that's working hard and what their margins really are. And and what I'm always thinking about, what if your car breaks down Mm -hmm. and you don't have that access? Can you keep that car maintained to get to work? And then the, you know, everything breaks down from there. So I can absolutely feel what everyone's telling you already about how lean things still are, especially if you're in those lower wage jobs. Well, Mike, let's now tackle this other area, which is not lost. We just had a conversation with Jamie Diamond about this from J.P. Morgan Chase. Uh, housing. <laughs> housing prices are up in the region. We know that. They've been rising for years. That's that's not new. You all say, quote, Metro Atlanta has experienced the largest relative increase in rental prices, prices in the nation. You all conclude up, and I'm quoting you here, a whopping 43% in the past five years. 43%? Mike? Absolutely. And that's Zillow, which really probably has the best data on what's happening on rent prices. Um, You know, we re-summarize that data so we can tell stories like that at the metro area. You know, we're still less than the most expensive metros, but that 41% increase, if we're talking about a household functioning, and you've already talked about inflation, we know healthcare costs are going up. You talked about childcare. Um, that's a that's a specific topic for me about how much in-demand childcare is. And then you put on top of it that rent is going up for almost everyone across the metro Atlanta. And on top of that is, you know, the new stuff that gets built is not affordable. And everybody is. Say that again, Mike, now. for the for the people in the back. <laughs> yeah. Well, as we look at the new apartment, the new multifamily, almost all of it. Almost all of it that gets built really isn't affordable to a middle-income household. And so when you hear the mayor and all of our other elected officials talking about more affordable housing, they recognize this challenge, right? And it's getting that much harder. You know, we've lost like 59,000 affordable units for someone making $1,250 a month or less. And that's a that's a critical burden. And it's just getting that much harder for our low low-wage workers who are working so hard just to find decent housing. 
Well, then, and I think this goes back to what you all are doing with the livable communities, because this these are initiatives that you say if you put everything that a person could possibly need in their community, then perhaps that will impact, you know, their their bottom line and that paycheck to paycheck living. Uh, For our listeners who may not be familiar with that, let's take a little bit deeper dive into that about the livable communities here. Yeah, absolutely. And the idea was to, you know, really help people to think about their communities in a way that maybe you're not so car dependent. And one of the critical areas is if we can build housing close to transit, where maybe you don't need a car over the long term, well, that cuts your household expenses dramatically, right? And that's one of the things we know. You know, we we have historically been affordable on housing, but when we put transportation costs with housing for middle income households, we are not affordable. Then we move as a metro near the front and those costs where it is relatively expensive to be in Metro Atlanta and you know own and operate a vehicle and then combine that with housing costs. So the idea of livable centers is to put people in places where they're not so dependent on making those long distance commutes, putting more households in our big employment centers. And you see that, you've seen it, Rose. I know the, the verticality that's gone up in our big employment centers. Um, and that's over the long term, we hope, one of the ways we're going to address this. Within these these 29 counties that you mentioned earlier, is there a, a specific community or county or small city where or region where an effort, you know, to not just build affordable housing, but have it, you know, really make an impact? Well, where is it and, and how do they do it? Can you point to something? It's I think we, you know, through our Metro Atlanta regional housing strategy, we're talking with our local elected officials about how to do that. Um, it is it is very much a challenge that's top of mind for us in regional planning. You'll find some cities being um, very thoughtful about it. The city of Decatur, I think, runs one of the best public housing programs really in the United States. Really? Trying to protect really? it. Yeah, absolutely. And there's there's nonprofits like Star C that mm-hmm. are really building wraparound services around affordable housing and trying to protect those naturally occurring affordable units that we don't we can't afford to lose at this point um and so you know specifically across the region there's small initiatives and now we're trying to put all that together best practices of what communities can do uh, to try to increase the number of affordable units mike what other high level trends that you all are recognizing are you all or it's on on your radar as it relates to the region's economy and are there any statistics that stick out in your head that sort of illustrate you know, the state of the economy here in Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, the, the tightness in the labor market is always going to come up top of mind because, you know, we're trying to make sure we're as competitive as possible because we want those those people, like you were talking about, I know where are they going, but to work in these jobs and help grow our economy because that, that does lift all boats. And so I'm always focused on that. And we have been strong. Uh, one of the things that I've been tracking is, the information sector and professional and business services, uh, we have been near the front of the pack. And those, that job change, especially coming out of the pandemic, is a good sign about the health of the metro economy. But we've got to address all the other things that you're talking about uh, with us today, which we're glad you're having this conversation to say we've got to do all the things very well to make sure that we're we're in that place to be as great as we can be. And I, I, 
Okay, Mike, as we wrap up then, you've got the ear of every elected official in all these 29 counties that you're talking about. They're going to say, Mike Alexander from the ARC, give us this one uh, marching order, so to speak, that you want us to start focusing on right now. And then, of course, they say, okay, yeah, Mike, we're going to do it. But what would that be? Well, it's not one marching order. I want to go back. Well, you got to start with one because, you know, for some of them, they can't give them too many and nothing gets done. No, we love it. You know, I work for elected officials, and I'm not, and I'm just I'm not picking on them. Oh, here come the emails, uh, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's the point that I, they care about their community. Sure, but if you're, but you know, the thing is, we can't think about just transportation, and that's the marching order. You've got to think about transportation. You got to think about housing. You got to think about healthcare. You got to think about childcare. Um, we've had a tremendous amount of success, but if you're not thinking holistically about the system that is providing services to a household, um, you're, you, you, we're not going to get to where we need to be. That's a great marching order, see? You said Perfect. holistically. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Mike Alexander, he's the director of the Center for Livable Communities at the Atlanta Regional Commission. And we'll be talking about the state of the Atlanta economy as we continue our series, Paycheck to Paycheck. And, of course, we invite all of you to visit our website, wabe.org slash paycheck. Take our survey. It's really quick. We're going to have more information. And based on that information, that's how we are determining a lot of these conversations and segments that we're having. Mike, as it relates to Paycheck to Paycheck, what do you want to hear Closer Look talk about and take a deeper dive into? I want you to absolutely talk about the challenges of child care in Metro Atlanta. You got it. Getting child care for our children. You got it. Mike, thank, thank you, you so no, thank you so much for the conversation. I really appreciate it. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our senior producer is Sam Whitehead. Our other producers, Janine Etter, LaShawn Hudson, and Daniel Razel. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Just send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And of course, you know, if you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash closer look and of course you can always listen to closer look weeknights at seven as well as in our podcast because we have one like everybody else so subscribe to closer look wherever you like don't forget to check out our paycheck to paycheck website let us know how you're making ends meet or maybe you're not wabe.org slash paycheck stay tuned to 90.1 wabe atlanta i'm rose scott Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. 
New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.